Hello. Greetings. We're very glad that you've joined us. We hope that you're doing well. We're very glad that you're interested in spiritual things. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. In Acts 8, verses 26 through 39, we are told about an Ethiopian eunuch who was reading, reading in Isaiah 53 as he was traveling along the road going back down to Ethiopia when he was met by Philip, who preached to him Jesus, that the eunuch recognized in the preaching of Jesus his need to be baptized. And we're told in verse 39 that when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, Peter writes to Christians in Asia Minor, and he's trying to encourage them in their faith. And he remind, tells them and reminds them about the inheritance that awaits for them uh, in heaven. That, that they're being guarded by faith for a salvation ready to be re- revealed the last time. And in verse 6, he says that in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So the test of genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes that those tested by fire, may result in... Praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Galatians 5, verse 22, when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he says it's love, joy, and continues on. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, Paul commands Christians to rejoice always. And in Philippians 4, 4, he duplicates it. He says, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say, rejoice. So we can see from these scriptures that Christians are to rejoice. They are to rejoice in the Lord. Why is that? And why does God need to command us to rejoice? Let's explore that, why don't we, from the pages of Scripture. So why do we rejoice? We rejoice because of the things that God has done for us. That's the attitude we saw of the eunuch in Acts 8 and verse 39. That he went his way rejoicing because he had learned of salvation. He had obtained the hope of Israel. That he was serving the Messiah. That the things that he had been reading had taken place. And that uh, it was for his benefit. In Colossians 1, verse, Colossians 1 and verse 13, Paul says that we have been transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God. And so, uh, that's a very powerful thing. That God was willing to give of his Son, that we could have the forgiveness of our sins. And that we could be transferred out of darkness into his light. God has made the creation and has made it so that it takes care of our needs and prevents all the things that we uh, are able to use and enjoy in Genesis 1. And we can rejoice out of gratitude for the things that God is doing. That we have association with the Father and the Son in John 17, 20-23 and in 1 John chapter 1, 3-7. That we can associate and share in the benefits of associating with fellow Christians in Hebrews 10, 24, 25, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. That our mediator, Jesus Christ, is God and man and human, and he can sympathize with our weaknesses. 1 Timothy 2, 5, Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. That through him, according to Hebrews 10, 19 22, we can approach the Father in prayer with boldness. And the great hope at 1 John 4 and verse 4 that. The one who is with us is stronger than he who is in the world. And that is how, in Romans 12, verse 12, we continue and are sustained in hope of what God is doing and what God will will bring to completion on the final day. 
Because in John 3.16, we have eternal life promised if we obey Him. That, as Peter said in 1 Peter 1-7, it's been reserved for us, this inheritance reserved for us in heaven. And that we will share in the resurrection of life, in a place of joy and peace and exaltation. In Philippians 2.5-11, Revelation 7.16-17, where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more pain. That God cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7, and he will preserve us if we are obedient. And that if God is for us, who can be against us? That if he did not spare his own son, uh, but gave him up for us all, how will not through him also give us all things? In Romans 8, 31-39. So this joy that we have is based in the wonderful things that God has done, is doing, and will do for us. And it should come somewhat naturally for us when we live in light of what God has done for us in Christ. Because are we not of all people most blessed? Has not God given us every spiritual blessing that there is in Christ, according to Ephesians 1 and verse 3? Do we not have salvation? And that being far more valuable than anything else that's in the world. Uh, uh, more than a pearl of great price. More than uh, enough that a person will sell all that he has to obtain it. And in Matthew thirteen forty-five through 46. That uh, what can a man give for his soul? And if he gains the whole world to lose his soul, that, that, that we understand that's an uneven transaction. And so if we have that salvation, isn't that a great reason for rejoicing? That as Christians, we should be, in fact, the most happy of people. But, a lot of times Christians aren't the happiest of people. And if rejoicing is so natural, why does God have to command us many times to rejoice? Shouldn't joy be automatic from all of these things? But that's not the way it is, because it's very easy for us to be discouraged. And discouragement can come from so many sources. Uh, we may feel like we're not doing enough. We may feel like we're being judged by others. We might uh, be tempted by the evil. Um, we are faced with the assaults of the outside world and people who would denigrate the faith. Uh, and maybe we just are weak. Maybe we really are struggling. And for lots of reasons, Christians are not the happy people they ought to be. And that's why the command is necessary. Because we need to decide to be happy. And that's why we are commanded to rejoice. And in fact, it's interesting to see in Philippians, of all places, where Paul is talking about his own suffering and the suffering of the Christians in Philippi, where Peter is saying that the Christians in Asia Minor are rejoicing despite the fact that right now they're going through trial. That shows us that there is a strong association between rejoicing and trial. Because we cannot control life circumstances. But we can certainly control how we react to life circumstances. What will we have as an attitude when things don't look as good as we would like them to look? When things seem unpleasant and the prospect of pain, suffering, perhaps even death is on the horizon? Well, in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, after the apostles were beaten, they left the presence of the council. And they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. In Acts 16 and verse 25, after Paul and Silas had been beaten and put in prison in Philippi, we are told they were praying and singing hymns to God around midnight. In 
2 Corinthians chapter 6 and in verse 10. 2 Corinthians, Paul has been in, in great anguish. He was sorrowful, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. So in times of sorrow, he rejoiced. As we saw in 1 Peter 1, 3-9, they're suffering various trials because of that, yet though they rejoice in what is awaiting them. Their inheritance undefiled, unfading, and imperishable. And so Christians can be joyful and happy in very dire or difficult circumstances. And that's why it's very important for us to consider what Paul has to say in Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is a beautiful passage that we often turn to for encouragement, where it's very clear that uh, what's going to separate us from God? Uh, only if we decide to turn away from God. That we're not going to be able to be separated by the distresses of the world, by suffering, by tribulation, by distress. And that we're, we're put in mind in the midst of all kinds of things going on. Hey, he sent his son to die for us. Will he not give us all things? If, if he's justifying, if he's saving, who can condemn us? That we are more than conquerors through Jesus because of God and God in Christ because he loved us. And this is designed for us to be positive about things. But notice, he doesn't just say this in happy-go-lucky times. He's saying this very much because of the threat of persecution. For your sake we're being killed all the day long. We regard as sheep to be slaughtered. This is from Psalm 44, uh, where the sons of Korah are crying out in the midst of their distress, feeling abandoned, feeling lost in a world where everything's upside down, where the righteous are persecuted and the wicked are prosper. So Paul says, this is a real situation. This is what's going to happen now. That doesn't mean we're defeated. It doesn't mean things are going horribly. It doesn't mean that everything is messed up and we're going to be condemned. It is actually something that we're called upon to endure and does not accurately reflect the situation going on in heaven. That is why Paul says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us in all these things. We're going to suffer. We're going to experience trial. We're going to go through pain. We're going to have those moments where we're wondering if God has abandoned us. And Paul says in all these things we are more than conquerors. That's the time of all times where we have to rejoice. And it's this strange, odd paradox in this time of distress and pain and we see in the Bible in times of distress and pain it is a time to rejoice and we think that's just so strange and so wrong and 
it's understandable why I think that's just so strange and so wrong. Because in times of distress, we just want to roll in our agony. But it's at those moments when we're being most tried and most challenged in our faith that we need to emphasize what God has already done for us, what God has promised us, and how wonderful God has been toward us to be convinced and reminded of His loving kindness toward us, that we are not seduced and deceived into thinking that uh, God does not have our best interest at heart, that God has abandoned or betrayed or lost us. Uh, No. God's love is there for us. If we want it. God's love will not be broken by these external factors. That's not how it works. We have a reason for rejoicing. So this rejoicing is not always a warm, fuzzy, happy feeling. It is the decision to find joy, happiness, and contentment in God. And what God has given us in God's promises because of what God has done for us. And that will give us the strength to endure the tempests of life, the ups and downs of life. Uh, It keeps us humble in the good times. It gives us strength in the bad times. And that is why Paul says in a full-throated way, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. This is a mental decision. We need to focus on that which is positive and good. Whatsoever is love, whatsoever is praise, whatsoever is good report, think on those things of Philippians 4 and verse 8, because that will dictate our mentality. If we always focus on the negative, everything's going to be negative. If we always focus on how awful everything is, things are going to be more awful. If we're just convinced everything's going to fall apart, uh, it could become a self-fulfilling prophecy. We should not be deluded and, and undermined or act as if there is nothing negative or, or use positivity as a blunt object to uh, dismiss sober thinking about reality. But we also can't just revel in cynicism and negativity. That's the way of the world. It's comforting. It's a nice tranquilizer. But the problem with tranquilizers is they paralyze. That we need to maintain the hope that God is, and God has a plan, and that we have a role in that plan. So we must decide that we're going to rejoice in times of bounty or times of lack, that we will rejoice in the Lord. In times of health or in times of sickness, that we will rejoice in the Lord. In times of adversity and in times of success, we will rejoice in the Lord and in the strength of His power. So we as Christians should be happy people. We have the love of the Lord. We have salvation. We have a myriad of spiritual blessings. And we have come to know a bit about the God who made us. Will everything work out in the world the way we want to? No. No. But even the worst of times, we may know that God loves us, and that if God is for us, who can be against us? And we can find joy and strength in that. But we, in the end, are going to be making a decision. Are we going to be joyful? Or are we going to focus on the negative? Let us instead, as Paul has told us, rejoice. Again, we say, let us rejoice. Perhaps you have some 
things you like to talk about. Maybe you like to talk more about joy. Maybe you're having some difficulties in life. Maybe you would like some clarification on some of these matters. Uh, maybe you just need to talk. Uh, whatever way we can be of service, please let us know. Please contact me through my website, deverbalvitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about the Venice Church of Christ, you can find us online at venicechurchofchrist.org or also on Facebook, Google+, Instagram, Twitter, at Venice Church, primarily, perhaps Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. Have a great day.